Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Well, they continue to work on the uh, Farm Bill in the Senate, going through the amendment process. We'll keep an eye on that. Also going to talk today about some... um, Ways of promoting agriculture and educating consumers about their food with uh, some great challenges uh, being put out by the American Farm Bureau Federation Foundation. Some different ways you can get involved. We'll learn more about that. But certainly yesterday, the ag news cycle uh, was dominated by the RFS once again, EPA releasing their uh, RVO proposals for 2019. And uh, we're going to get a lot of reaction to that on today's program, starting with Bob Deneen, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Bob, thanks for joining us. Uh, yesterday, when those numbers came out, ordinarily, ordinarily, we might have looked upon them pretty positively. But with the backdrop of what we know has been going on with uh, waivers to refineries and no no change in that policy in sight and what we've learned about how they've gone about doing that as far as uh, ignoring uh, recommendations from the Department of Energy, it certainly diminishes uh, what could have been good news yesterday in the announcement. Well, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, 15 billion gallons is what the statute tells EPA that they should have promulgated for ethanol, and they did so. It's a little bit hard to get terribly excited just because EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt followed the law and, uh, and abided by that volume requirement. But uh, when you think about the 2.2 billion gallons that EPA acknowledged in its uh, release yesterday has been lost due to waivers uh, from the program, the, the 15 billion number really becomes somewhat meaningless because it is pretty clear that Scott Pruitt intends to continue the demand destruction, to continue to reward oil companies for their bad behavior, their failure to invest in the infrastructure to allow them to meet their requirements and to uh, give waivers to highly profitable companies that don't need relief from a program that is actually requiring them to blend a higher octane product at a lower price. So there's, there's a fair amount of frustration today. And no sign, no indication of reallocation. No, in fact, here's where it really gets uh, my Irish up, Mike. Uh, This is a town that leaks like a sieve, and, of course, everybody in town knew last week that EPA had included in its uh, proposal language that would have required a different process for the waivers uh, for small refineries and would have required reallocation for those, at least going forward. But as word got out about that, the refiners uh, objected because they want to see uh, demand destruction for biofuels. They don't want to see 15 billion gallons. They want to see this program uh, fail. And so uh, they got their you know members all excited, and the calls started going into uh, EPA. And Scott Pruitt actually had a conference call with the refiners last Thursday evening. And over the weekend, oh, big surprise, the language dictating that a, that a change in the waivers uh, process that would have required reallocation was removed and replaced with, we're not even going to take comments on these waivers. So it's, it's outside the scope of this rulemaking. Well, the heck that it is. What EPA is doing right now, shutting us out, uh, you know, requiring farmers who are in hardship today, who are being asked to sell their commodities below the cost of production. They're the ones that are hurting economically, and EPA is asking them to subsidize some of the most highly profitable companies on the planet. It makes no sense. We're talking with Bob Deneen, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Bob, thanks to reporting by Jarrett Renshaw and some others at Reuters, the curtain is starting to be pulled back a little bit. We're getting a, more of a view behind the, the scenes on EPA's granting of these waivers. And despite the fact that EPA administrators 
uh, Pruitt has been saying, oh, he's he works with the Department of Energy, uh, you know, in lockstep with them. And he's told us before how he's working closely with USDA. What we're seeing now and have found out, he's not listened to the recommendations often of uh, the Department of Energy. And we're hearing Secretary Purdue be critical of these waivers as well. So it makes you wonder how closely he's working with those agencies. Well, indeed. I mean, uh, frankly, he's not shown a great deal of fidelity to the truth on this one. He testified before the United States Congress that, oh, you know, we, EPA is just following the direction from the Department of Energy in granting these waivers. It's not us. You know, we're just implementing what they tell us. And then last week, he goes on a uh, goodwill tour across the Midwest, and he tells farmers over and over again, he's just following what the Department of Energy is telling him to do. Well, lo and behold, uh, no, that's really not the case. In many cases, the Department of Energy has recommended that uh, the, the gallons be waived only 50% and EPA has waived them 100%. Or in some cases, no waiver be provided at all, and EPA still waives 100%. So he's not been following the Department of Energy's recommendations on this. He's been following his own political aspirations because he hails from Oklahoma. He wants to return home to run for office, and he wants to be able to have a record of having helped the refining industry while at EPA. That's not his charge. That's not his responsibility. And the President of the United States needs to get a hold of this guy and have him start implementing the RFS as the statute intends and as the President desires. Can EPA grant partial waivers? Yes, they could absolutely uh, do a partial waiver, and, and that's what, he, what the Department of Energy had recommended. Now, there's no transparency here, and that's part of the problem. We don't know uh, what the companies are providing either to the Department of Energy or to EPA to uh, make a case that they have some economic hardship. But again, I would maintain ethanol is the lowest cost octane on the planet. It's not an economic hardship to anybody to blend more of a higher octane product at a lower price. It saves refiners money. There's no hardship there. And the, and the notion that some of the wealthiest companies on the planet need to have relief from a program that actually saves them money defies logic. Well, the RFS was to give certainty to the renewable fuels industry in this country, and now because of what's happening at EPA with these waivers, even though we have the proposal, we have we have really no certainty because we don't know what the number is actually going to be with waivers. Uh, are you hopeful there will be something as far as reallocation and something else to help bring certainty in the final proposal, in the final rule? Well, the fact that EPA has said the, uh, the waiver discussion is beyond the scope of this rulemaking, I would challenge. But because they've said that, it's clear that EPA has no intention of making any changes to that in the rulemaking process, which really makes the lawsuits plural, that the RFA and others have filed against EPA for these waivers that much more important, because ultimately it might be the courts that direct EPA uh, to reallocate those gallons as the statute commands, and it might be the courts that gets this program back in line. All right, Bob, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks, Mike. Bob Deneen, President, CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. More on this uh, RFS issue with Scott Irwin, University of Illinois Ag Economist, coming up next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. 
only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heart for a mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little you need a car, been shopping only to be up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. Or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Doesn't matter. No credit? doesn't matter bankruptcy or divorce it just doesn't matter as a matter of fact your job is your ticket to your new vehicle we're auto credit express and we've helped thousands of people just like you antonio h told us great company got me connected and the day i went in i drove off in the car i wanted 100 percent worth your time need a car get started now and drive off as early as today just go to 11 ignoremyscore.com right now that's www.11ignoremyscore.com auto financing the easy way 11 ignoremyscore.com get started today auto financing the easy way information america's farmers and ranchers need to know Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. Joining us now, University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin. Scott, we just talked with Bob Deneen, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Obviously very upset uh, with the ongoing uh, waiver policies of this EPA and especially EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt. And really, uh, those waivers and what we're learning about them as far as lost gallons and uh, lack of reallocation certainly diminishes the proposal for the 2019 levels of the RFS that EPA released yesterday. That's exactly right. I think the way to think about it, Mike, is there are the headline numbers on paper that were released yesterday, and then behind the scenes because of the... Uh, small refinery waivers and the lack of reallocation, there's the reality of the real numbers as they're going to be uh, implemented based on this proposed rulemaking. And there's a wide gap between what's on paper and what's actually going to be implemented based on this proposal. Yesterday we learned through a reporting of from our friends at Reuters uh, about uh, how the this EPA has kind of ignored some of the recommendations by the Department of Energy, despite saying that they're working, you know, following the uh, recommendations of the Department of Energy. Now we've learned that's not the case, and that the, even more gallons have been lost than we thought. Well, I'm not sure if it's more gallons lost. Uh, I think we've got at least can uh, bound those in the range of maybe. Uh, a billion gallons a year, it's, it's not exactly clear. But the real issue is, you know, is there some kind of scandalous behavior on the part of EPA under Pruitt in terms of the awarding of these small refinery exemptions? Uh, this is our first concrete evidence that uh, all is not according to kosher uh, inside the EPA in the awarding of these uh, waivers. Uh, not that I have any personal uh, animus against uh, Director Pruitt, but just simply because so many have been offered so quickly, uh, I've been pretty outspoken that I'm not going to be surprised if there aren't some real kind of scandalous problems with how these are awarded. Uh, I think the truth on that will eventually come out. 
And when he he's publicly said that he's just following the Department of Energy's recommendations, and then we find out uh, he's gone against their recommendations in many cases. Doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, you know, I you know he clearly has a personal um, objective of you know, gutting the RFS as much as possible compared to congressional intent and rewarding his friends in the refining industry. I know that's a really pretty strong statement, but we have plenty of observations now to justify that kind of conclusion. And so he's clearly shown a willingness to push and stretch the rules to their absolute uh, even breaking point to accomplish that objective. And then for the oil industry to be critical of the proposals yesterday for 2019, I mean, why be, unless that's just a public show, why would they be critical if they know they can have a good chance of getting out of those numbers anyway? Well, that's, that's to me, Mike, one of the real mysteries of this entire process is why the refining industry is um, investing so much time, money, and political capital, uh, when from their perspective, the stakes are pretty small. I mean, uh, you know, the ship has sailed on 10% of uh, ethanol. You know, the the implementation of the rules going forward is uh, uh, pretty straightforward. Uh, I, I'm just kind of mystified why they would uh, basically stir up such a hornet's nest of political controversy over the RFS continually, time after time after time. The only you know, rational conclusion that I've reached based on observing their behavior is that, wow, they are still mad as, uh, you know what, about losing the 10% market share uh, to ethanol and some of the diesel to biodiesel, and they, they have not forgiven egg for that. Now, they renewed their criticism over the numbers proposed for advanced biofuels, uh, including cellulosic biofuel. And granted, uh, admittedly, in the past, those uh, are two areas that uh, the industry has not been able to perform as well as we would have liked. But there are a lot of factors involved there, and we have seen great strides in those areas. But uh, the, the oil industry is really focused in there. Well, uh I, yeah, again, I don't know what's really driving their hypercriticism uh, on any front of the RFS. Um, on this one, on the uh, cellulosic, of course, uh, we're seeing some increases, but they're really small from where we've been before. Uh, the only real ray of sunshine in the proposal for ag was the increase for 2020 for biodiesel, and the advanced is stated as going up by, uh, you know, the amount that it's supposed to in the statutes. Uh, But one thing that I think has been missed in this debate from the ag side is that the small refinery exemptions apply with equal proportion in terms of their impact on ethanol use as it does on uh, biodiesel use. But I don't hear as much uh, complaining coming out of the biodiesel people. I'm not sure that everybody gets that point or not. We will talk with the Vice President for Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board a little bit later on in today's program. Uh, Scott, when you look at, I mean, more and more it shows EPA as, uh, you know, kind of a rogue agency on this because they're going against, now we've learned, going against Department of Energy recommendations. We've heard Secretary Purdue say USDA doesn't like uh, uh, what they're doing with the uh, refinery waivers. So, it, you know, Scott Pruitt may claim he's working with these other agencies, but it doesn't seem to be the case at all. Uh, no. Uh, like I said, he uh, uh, has a clear uh, mandate, he feels, from the refining industry to... Um, roll back the uh, mandates under the RFS by any means necessary, and he doesn't care what anyone else uh, in the executive branch thinks, which uh, then brings us back to uh, the president. 
uh, he can put a stop to this with a phone call. And so, in my opinion, if I was on the ag side, I'd be asking that question. Why isn't this being stopped with a phone call from the president? And I've been asking that question for throughout this process. Um, maybe early on, Scott Pruitt did it without the president's knowledge, but he's, he's got to know it by now. Why hasn't he just stepped in and, and said, stop doing this or we have to change the way we're doing this. I think that question needs to be asked. I mean, we keep hearing people say, well, he's not doing what the president wants. Well, then why is he still there? Why would Donald Trump allow him to keep doing that? He, he doesn't seem to be that patient with others that don't follow his, uh, his, uh, his lead on, on issues. Yeah, I think probably what is protecting him in the president's mind, just a guess on my part, is that he is taking heat for making major changes in the EPA's uh, implementation of other environmental policies that I, I think are very important to the president, you know, and some of them are important to ag as well, you know, so there is a, a positive side of front to the ag that we don't talk about a lot, you know, waters of the USA was a, you know, something that was a, a significant priority of agricultural commodity organizations and you know that's now uh, being completely redone under under Pruitt and you know so we do have to be honest that there are these other things that are positive and uh, you know I'm guessing that that must be carrying the balance now with the with the president but you know so it's up to the people in agriculture to bring this in front of the president and say, you know, this is your promise. This is the way it's not being kept. Why aren't you reining this guy in? It's pretty simple. Fair point. Uh, look at the bigger picture. And sometimes we zero in on a particular issue. You're right. Although, if, if you if widen the, the lens on Scott Pruitt, he has a lot of other uh, baggage, too, that he he's uh, dealing with. So it's it's not like it's all it's it's just about the RFS. There are other areas, certainly, that he's uh, oh, received a lot of criticism. I'll be honest with you. While we're on that topic, I am really surprised that completely taking the RFS stuff out of the picture that the guy has survived in D.C. this long. I mean, he has uh, uh, really uh, brought up a, a lot of ethical issues on himself. Uh, I saw something a, a week or two ago where a conservative Republican uh, publication called National Review uh, was calling for his resignation based on ethical grounds. So uh, I think he's on very, very thin ice. We'll have to see. Scott, good to talk with you. Thank you. Uh, always a pleasure. Bye. Scott Irwin, University of Illinois Ag Economist on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us. I'm here to tell you that your option. Reason number 12 why you should own a third. Response hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today. To Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Grain and soybean futures bouncing on this Wednesday. USDA on Friday will update the market on how many acres of crops U.S. farmers planted this year, along with quarterly stocks of grains as well. In corn, we're trending two and a fraction higher an hour into Wednesday's trading day. The short-term trend still lower. December corn seeing major support at 360. We could be vulnerable to backing and filling between resistance at 380 and a half. Initial supports on new crop December corn, 368 and three quarters. November soybeans trending higher on this Wednesday. The overall market six to seven cents better. On the upside, initial resistance for new crop November soybeans 
lies at 9.01 and a quarter. For USDA's numbers on Friday, average trade guess on corn acreage, 88.4 million acres. Soybeans, 89.8. The soybean number would be a shade lower than USDA's March forecast. The corn number would be a shade higher. For livestock, the Merck cattle futures on this Wednesday trading session. Trending in a mix, June live cattle up 25 at 106.20. Packer interest in cash cattle country should begin to slowly develop today. Asking prices expected around 110 on a live basis versus bids of 105. Dressed bids expected at 172. Asking prices at 178 plus. Feeder cattle futures on this Wednesday trending 50 to 65 cents lower. Lean hogs a dime to 65 cents higher. Outside markets, the Dow up 221 points, crude oil up a dollar 25. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. We'll continue to sort through this RFS situation. Uh, get the perspective of the biodiesel industry here in a little bit. Uh, their their uh, position may be a little different uh, based on the RVO proposed levels for 2019, 2020, and beyond. As uh, we'll see if the news is better for biodiesel, seems to be. We'll talk with their vice president of federal affairs for the National Biodiesel Board uh, coming up in our next segment, get the, their perspective on this. But uh, now I want to talk about some ways. This is an ongoing challenge for all in agriculture to promote agriculture, to educate consumers about their food, where their food comes from, how it's raised, and why it's raised a certain way. The American Farm Bureau Federation Foundation has uh, a number of things going on called the Purple Plow Challenges. And here to tell us about it is the Foundation's Education Director, Leah Gibson. Leah, thank you for joining us. Tell us about the Purple Plow Challenges. Yes, thank you, Mike, for having me. So um, I thought uh, real quick it might be helpful to explain the difference between the American Farm Bureau Foundation and then the American Farm Bureau Federation. So the Farm Bureau Foundation is a separate entity from the membership organization that most of us are familiar with that we see on that local county level. Um, And the foundation is a separate nonprofit, and our mission is all about building awareness, understanding, and a positive positive public perception of agriculture through education. And so one of the ways we do that is through one of our our big platforms called Purple Plow. And um, there's two items on there. There are puzzlers and there are challenges. And um, Purple Plow is a a STEM education platform for middle school and high school educators to use. It's, It's totally free. Um, and these Purple Plow challenges um, are for middle school and high school um, members, like I just mentioned, and um, they challenge them to uh, identify a problem and then to imagine a solution and to design and create and test and improve that solution and then, and then share it in some type of presentation. And so right now we have our, our summer challenge uh, that launched in May, and it will end August 1st, and it's the Farm to Food Truck Challenge. Yeah, tell us about this. This is really interesting. I was I was looking at something on this uh, just the other day and thought it was pretty neat. I, I'm anxious to see uh, how much uh, participation involvement you get in this. Tell us about it. Yeah, so the, the Farm to Food Truck Challenge, the whole premise is exactly what you said earlier. So 
2% of U.S. population directly involved in production agriculture. So too often people don't really know where their food comes from. And it's, it's not so much a fault of their own. It's just the, it's just where we are in our society now. And so um, this challenge, it, 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 uh, it encourages students to research how to bridge the gap between consumers and the agriculture industry by designing a farm-to-food truck. And so they trace the, the process of how farm gets or how food gets from the farm all the way to our plate by designing this food truck. And they, they come up with a business plan and a menu, and they're just tracing those ingredients back to where they came from in this fun, engaging way that in, encourages students to use critical thinking and inquiry and to work together with other, other students on a team um, to, come up with, to come up with a solution to a real-world problem. And are you finding that students are, are getting into this, that they, they uh, are enjoying uh, the challenge? Oh, yeah. We've had some awesome feedback. A part of the structure of these Purple Plow challenges are for the, the teachers to, to get involved on social media. So we have a Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter platform that uh, they'll, they'll tag the Purple Plow in. And so we can track their progress along the way. And the students are coming up with these incredible solutions. Um, in the past, we've had We've had four challenges so far. Purple Plow launched in 2017, and uh, just recently our past challenge was growing your community. And so it was encouraging community partnerships and community gardens. And to see these students come up to, to you know, these fifth through eighth graders work with these business partners that were in their community and come up with some strategic way to fight food insecurity in their local communities was, was, was truly incredible. And so we've, we haven't been uh, – we haven't been – uh, launched or opened that long, but we've already had 40 teams enter, and uh, we're, we're really excited because there's some, not only are we teaching students where their food comes from and increasing agriculture literacy, but there's some great prizes as well. So teachers for free can download this curriculum, and they can, if they win, there's three winners each challenge, and they can win a 3D printer, a $100 Visa gift card, and some medals for the students, and every now and then we have some extra grants available too. So, like this past challenge, they uh, the the teachers that won won an extra five hundred dollars to put towards their other educational endeavors. So it's a really great opportunity for for rural teachers, for urban teachers, for anybody looking for some free and great resources. I was going to ask you if teachers were getting uh, really behind this, and it sounds like they are. Yeah, there's there's some great involvement. We have some champions that have really taken on uh, taken on the Purple Plow and have pushed it through. Uh, they compete in every single challenge, and um, we're really proud to have to have those folks involved. and And it can be a, a big endeavor, so it's it's based around project based learning, which is a, a buzzword right now that some of us might hear about in the education industry. And it's and it's encouraging students to to tap into their inquiry and their critical thinking and to really come up with solutions on their own because that's the type of leaders that we need in society is people who can think for themselves and problem solve. And so teachers are really grab, uh, grabbing onto that. But another uh, option for, for if you're not a teacher in the classroom, say you're a 4-H leader or um, maybe you run a STEM, a science, technology, engineering, or math summer camp, or maybe you run a local makerspace or you're involved with your library, or maybe you're even an agriculture employee and you're looking for a way to get involved with your community, you can go on to www.purpleplow.org and you can download these free Purple Plow puzzlers and they're an hour to two and a half hour long um, activities that are essentially just miniature Purple Plow challenges. And so they're all about uh, problems in agriculture, and they're encouraging students to do something hands-on and come up with some type of innovative solution to those challenges. And so that's a great way to, to get involved with your community or find something to do at your next 4-H meeting, whatever it may be. It's free. It's there for you online, and it's a great resource that, um, that can be used by a variety of audiences. We're talking with Leah Gibson, Foundation American Farm Bureau Federation Foundation's Education Director, about the Purple Plow Challenges. Leah, you talked about urban and rural. Are, are you finding that students and teachers from both uh, settings, both backgrounds, are getting involved in this? Yeah, we have been. We have been finding that indeed. So, our 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 title sponsor of this program um, is the is. DuPont Pioneer, or as, as since this merger, is now Corteva AgriScience, which is the division of the new, newly founded Dow DuPont. Um, and one of their and our biggest 
um, strategies for this program is to make sure that we're designing resources that can be used by both audiences because uh, the the urban and the urban te- the urban and the rural teachers both need great resources to teach students where their comes from or teach students where their food comes from because even if you might have grown up in a rural community you still might not be um, you still might be several generations removed from agriculture and so um, when you use purple plow challenges or puzzlers you're able to get a free curriculum that can uh, that can walk you through exactly um, where your food comes from and some other real world problems that we face in agriculture and we've had we've had uh, schools compete in in Illinois and Iowa and in the in the Midwest the heart of of what the heart of um, the agriculture industry. And then we also have some outliers. We have some schools compete in Hawaii and New York City. There are, there are, there's evidence that this curriculum can work, uh, this strategy can work for both rural and urban areas. So many positives about this. I was just thinking, listening to you talk about it, uh, not only the what the students will learn and hopefully then share with consumers to educate them, but just the... Uh, the structure, the the work ethic, the the research, uh, you know, all that. I mean, that's those are such good skills and such good practice for them to be involved in. Yes, exactly, and that that is a big that's a big strategy of ours. And um, we follow um, a an engineering design process, which is a fancy way to say um, that we are encouraging students to um, to take to take ownership of of what they're creating and to move away from, from, from teachers writing on the board and, and students writing it in their notebooks and then regurgitating, regurgitating it during a test um, or some type of presentation. And it's and encouraging them to say, look, this is a real problem that we want you to get excited about, that you can help solve, that you can be a part of the solution and, and helping them come up with, with innovative ideas and working with, with agriculture employees, leaders, in the industry to to come up with some neat innovative ideas. Um, in the past, we've also had a an H two grow challenge, which was all about aquaponics. And so, students who had never even heard of aquaponics were um, were building these uh, were building the, these um, big tanks for for fish to go in, and um, then putting plants in. And it was. It was a totally mind-shifting, world-shifting experience for these students that they might not have have, have gotten if um, if it wasn't for something like Purple Plow and and experiencing and exposing them to agriculture. Yeah, and a chance to educate the educators. I think that's important too to give the teachers uh, more a background and education on food production. Yes, exactly. And if uh, if you are an educator and you're listening, it's uh, you're, and you're interested, but you think it seems like a, it, maybe it's a bit intimidating uh, because you don't feel like you have a, a thorough background in agriculture. Uh, we don't be don't be worried. We have we walk you through um, we we walk you through exactly what you need to know. There are there are in these new challenges that are coming up. We there are lessons uh, for each of the challenges to help help the t- educator and and then help the students build some background knowledge and context around these challenges so that they don't have to go into it uh, going to it blind so uh, we have a challenge coming up this fall that'll be all about beef um, and Good. so uh, we're, we're really excited about that one and, and can't wait to see the the results that we get from the summer challenge as well what's that what's that website again leah www.purpleplow.org very good thanks leah appreciate it thanks for having me leah gibson the american farm bureau federation foundation Education Director for the Purple Cloud Challenges. We'll talk biodiesel next on AOA. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache, or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented my pillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time we spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing in my home state of Minnesota with a 10-year warranty, 
and you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever. Get four my pillows for the price of one. That's right. Get four my pillows, two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one. Order my pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get four my pillows for the price of one. Call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to mypillow.com and at checkout use promo code FARM11. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free Endless Pool Idea Kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed so if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep call now for prices and information and then decide when you see how little they cost discover craftmatic for less up to 50 percent less than today's leading memory foam brand call 1-800-318-7903 that's 1-800-318-7903 1-800-318-7903 call now thanks for listening to adams on agriculture from the american ag network we're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. A lot can happen in six seconds. A rodeo ride, a dramatic basketball win, and the world record holder can solve a Rubik's Cube. Six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop. And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, so we talked earlier with Bob Deneen with the Renewable Fuels Association about their concerns over the um, RBO levels announced by EPA because of the uh, refinery waiver situation really diminishing those numbers. 
so it's not the good news that uh, it normally would be, even though basically it's what the, the statute requires. But perhaps a little better news for the biodiesel industry. Let's talk with Kurt Kavarik. He is the Vice President of Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, thanks for joining us. Uh, is it? Uh, do you look upon the announcement uh, yesterday by EPA as positive for biodiesel? Yeah, Mike, glad to be with you. I would say that the biodiesel producers looked at look at yesterday's proposal as kind of a mixed bag, and and here's why. Uh, it it is finally EPA acknowledging that the biodiesel industry has the ability to pr- produce more gallons, so they proposed uh, 2.43 billion gallons of biodiesel for 2020 and that's that's the year they're setting for us it's a year in advance of everybody else so 2.43 compared to what epa has proposed and and implemented for 2019 and 2018 at 2.1 billion gallons so their proposal is is the first time under this president that they've acknowledged that our industry has the ability to actually produce more gallons which we always have our in recent years our market has been 2.6 billion up to 2.9 billion so to hold us steady at 2.1, we argued was unjustifiable, and and their proposal acknowledges that with the with the proposal uh, of 330 additional uh, 330 million additional gallons. I say it's a mixed bag because in the in the same proposal we learned exactly how many gallons and, and rins we've lost due to these dead of night secret waivers that they're providing as as hardships to uh, so-called hardships to refiners, and that was. You know, 2016, they acknowledge they've they've, uh, they've excused about 790 million rins, and 2017, uh, 1.46 billion rins, and and what that means to biodiesel is that's a lost uh, 100 gallons in 2016, and almost 300 million gallons in 2017. So the reason I say it's a mixed bag is because, quite frankly, what it looks like they're doing is they're giving us 330 million gallons on on one hand, but quite frankly, taking it away on the other hand with these small refiner. Uh, uh, exemptions. So these waivers, these exemptions, are hurting the biodiesel industry as well. Without a doubt, and I know that you know Bob Deneen and the and the ethanol folks. They've been they've been loud and, and demonstrated their loss. We we experience the same loss. It's it's a little bit on a smaller scale because we're we're a two billion uh, two point one billion gallon uh, mandate rather than fifteen billion gallon. Uh, but yes, you know. Combined, 2016 and 2017, close to 400 million gallons of biodiesel. And we've seen that um, in our market. We've seen that in the RIN value. So, yes, it's, it's having a, a direct negative impact. But what I'd like to say to folks is, you know, EPA could have held us at $2.1 billion again and taken away those same gallons. But I'm glad that they proposed at least acknowledging our, our industry's ability to produce at higher levels by proposing 2.43. Now, again, this is just a proposal. We're a long way from the finish line. But we're going to we're going to do everything we can to defend that higher level, and we're going to do everything we can to get the administrator to either stop issuing these small refiner exemptions, or do what the law requires and reallocate them to other obligated parties. Because I mean, right now all they're doing is is using these exemptions to, in effect, lower the overall volume. So that that volume that they're proposing for us is only has the integrity as long as uh, the EPA doesn't underhandedly remove those gowns through these so-called hardship waivers that are going to, you know, multinational uh, petroleum refiners like Endeavor and, and others that are reaping huge profits. And you brought up a good point, Kurt, in that this is a proposal. That means, I, and I don't want to underestimate at all the uh, the influence of the oil industry. They still have time to to uh, influence uh, EPA before a final rule is is made. That's exactly right. And in fact, I think a, the comment out from a, a trade association for the refiners yesterday was, you know, they're, they're still not happy with this because it increased uh, the, the volume obligations on both cellulosic and, and biodiesel and saying that we don't have the ability. I, I'm not I'm not sure where they they fail to understand, you know, the market that we've had has been above has been above this level for the last, you know, five, six years of, of two, well, more than two and a half billion. So they are going to come at us, and we're aware of that. We're aware that they've got a direct line into EPA Administrator Pruitt. There's no doubt that he is following a playbook that I would imagine has been given to him by the refining industry who has hated the RFS, wanted the RFS to go away, 
You know, unfortunately, this president, unfortunately for them, this president ran on supporting the IFS. But, you know, his, his EPA administrator continues to do everything he can to, to undermine the integrity of the program, and that's exactly what he's doing with these small refiner waivers. It's exactly yeah. what he's doing by saying in the proposed rule that we're not going to reallocate those gallons and we're not even going to take comment on reallocating those gallons, which is uh, outrageous in our opinion. Yeah, seems like it takes a lot of nerve by the oil industry to complain about the proposal when they know they have a back door to get out of it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I mean, they've they've used every tool they can to help help the EPA administrator reduce the volumes of, of and compliance for their industry, and and they still complain about any 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 effort towards uh, growth in the program and doing what Congress intended. That's the important thing about this. This program was put in place by Congress with a vision for growth in the domestic biofuels industry to diversify and, and create energy independence and create, um, you know, a viable domestic homegrown agriculture-based renewable fuels industry. And, and they do everything they can to undermine it and, and, and contrary to the will of Congress. So as you said, a mixed bag, the RFS is supposed to give certainty to the biofuels industry, but what with what's going on with the EPA, it's created uncertainty. Absolutely. And you know, in the past, under previous administrations, you know, we've, we've done the same process where we've gone in, argued for higher volumes. There, there have been periods of time where they haven't even produced a rule for two or three years on end. Pruitt, we were, we were pleased when he came in and said, hey, I'm going to follow the statute and I'm going to get these done on time. But unfortunately, that's about the only good thing he's done with the RFS because every, every, everything else and every opportunity he's had to, uh, you know, in secret undermine the program, he's done it. Kurt, thank you for the perspective. We wanted to hear from the biodiesel industry and your take on this. Thank you so much. You bet. Glad to be with you, Mike. Have a great day. Kurt Kavarik, he's the Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. More on this story tomorrow. We'll get you up to date on what's happening in the Senate with the Farm Bill and much more. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Have a great day, everyone. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons Now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today.